is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For part two with Ryan Scott Oliver, we talk about mentors and shows that he's worked on that have taught him the most about himself and a very interesting conversation he had with Jason Robert Brown. So I hope you enjoy this part two with Ryan Scott Oliver and keep on keeping on. Switching switching gears here, um, mentors growing yeah. up or even now, uh, do any come to mind and are there any standout lessons? from any mentors. Yeah. So first I will say, I never had the mentor I wished I had and, and didn't really understand that how important a mentor was. I think part of it was because by the time I was 18, that same musical theater camp that I was talking about earlier that my friends, that my friend's mom had run, I took that camp over. And I taught there, taught with them for 10 years. And so by the time I was 18, I was already in a position to be a mentor. I was already in a position to be a leader. And I think I lost the opportunity to really see myself as someone who still, I, I've always been someone who knows that he needed to learn and always been, you know, always looking to learn the next thing. But in terms of the vulnerability that that is required to be a mentee and to sort of give yourself over to you know to the 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 guiding hands of someone else, um, it was something that sort of eluded me. That said, um, you know I had a number of teachers through high school that. Um, were huge influences on the way that I write and the way that I teach and the way that I view art. Um, and then by the time I was at NYU's graduate musical theater writing program, you know, our teachers are Janine Tesori and Michael John Lacusa and Bill Finn and like, all, you know, all of these incredible people. Right. And I would say, I, you know, I would say I was a voracious note taker. And I, in so many ways, I felt like I had a mentor because I would listen to what they would say about things and about how they would talk about this business. And I would absorb those things. And so in that way, I really did. I will say... I assisted, you know, 15 years ago, I sh it probably was, I assisted Zena Goldrich and Marcy Heisler, who wrote Taylor the Latte Boy and the musical version of Ever After. And they had been, you know, I, I think that we would all agree that like sort of they were sort of the generation, you know, before my generation of writers. And they had really been, they had just been through what I would then go through the next five years. And so that was hugely helpful. Um, and I will also say, you know, I became acquainted with Jason Robert Brown, um, you know, in, in like the early 2000s. And, you know, we've remained in touch and uh, I'm obviously friends with his wife, Georgia Stitt, uh, as, as, you know, peers. And, you know, I've had, I've had the opportunity to pick Jason's brain a couple of times. And it's strange to sort of say, you know, he's probably been the closest thing I've ever had to a mentor. And one of the things he said to me that, you know, you know, really, it really did inform so much of the work that I then went on to do. I, you know, I remember him saying, and I, I don't think I'm talking out of turn. I, we were in his backyard and I remember him saying, um, you know, the last five years is my masterpiece and I'm never going to write anything as good. And I remember him also saying like, you know, he, he was, he was familiar enough with my work and he basically was like, you need to write more, you need to write more vulnerably. Mm. 
I think he sort of had this feeling, and I think he was right, that a lot of my work was really hard hitting. It had a lot of energy. It was extraordinarily uh, production worthy and presentational and lots of up tempos, lots of, you know, attempts at humor. And I think he was just sort of saying like, and I think he was just sort of saying like, don't be afraid to spill your guts. Don't be afraid to have a tender moment. Not everything has to be loud and fast and furious and exciting and entertaining. And I think that was something I really needed to hear um, because uh, Larry O'Keefe was a was a was a, a a big friend and a big influence in my life. And of course, you know, I love Bat Boy and I love Legally Blonde. Um, and I found myself especially, you know, in, in the late 2000s and early 2010s, I think really kind of writing somewhere between like an, a Michael John Lacusa and a Larry O'Keefe. And I think that what, what Jason was really encouraging me to do was to sort of step back and not be afraid to write something that I might worry would be boring or self-indulgent. And um, I, because of that, I wrote a song called Recovery in a musical called Three Points of Contact. And, you know, this was a musical of 22 songs that were all beautifully recorded by an incredible Broadway cast. And the, the actress that sang the, on the song is, is somebody no one had really ever heard of. And so when people would come to this album, you know, there's Gavin Creel and there's Lindsay Mendez and there's Wesley Taylor and Ethan Slater. So of course I'm going like, oh, recovery with this person no one has heard of is not going to get listened to, right? Hmm. But, but that is like one of the most popular tracks on the whole album. And huh. that speaks specifically to, of course, her performance, but it all, I mean, her name is Emily Rogers. It also speaks to the fact that this moment of tremendous vulnerability that I, I wrote, that was, you know, only a piano on this recording, this recording had, you know, an eight piece band for every other song, that people heard the song and it resonated with them. And that was the moment where I was like, fuck, Jason was totally right. <laughs> that was a lot, I really, I really went on a journey with that answer, but there you have it. This is, this is, I love these, I love this. So thank you for, thank you for not holding back. I, um, I wonder, was it difficult to write that song? Um, was it just a decision in a way? It was a decision. I wouldn't say it was difficult. Um, I, you know, as a teacher, uh, I, I, a teacher of actors, I, I get, I get a little bit allergic to some contemporary musical theater, especially songs that I find uh the the singer or the character is complaining or lamenting their life and you don't really feel that sense of that you get in i think really strong musicals where the character wants something and is taking action to get the thing or working something out and i think that what makes a song hard to write for me is when i have is when the when i don't know what the character wants and when i and when i do know what the character wants you know, it's even if it even if I'm crying while I write it, you know, it, it's it it's it's not it's not too much of a challenge to write at that point. Yeah, it kind of flows in a way. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, um, is there a show now you might have just answered this question. Is there, I guess, a show or a, a musical selection that has the most you in it or maybe taught you the most about yourself? 
Uh, written by someone else, you mean? No, uh, no. Well, yeah, yeah. Actually, that's really interesting. I didn't even think about that. I'm t- I'm talking about one that you've created. Oh, but brilliant. Both either. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, for sure. I will say that the the piece I wrote that I absolutely feel like you know, if this show ever was on Broadway, I could die happy. And I just think it it is me from you know head to toe is a musical. It's the musical actually that I mentioned earlier. Uh, it's called We Foxes. Um, uh, that I started writing, you know, after I had my little professional catastrophe and and uh, and decided that I needed to start working for myself and not for other people. Um, very short, in very brief, it's based on real events and it takes place in 1945 and it's about a an orphan girl who's sort of a, a hobo from the hobo community of America who is adopted by this um, very wealthy and seemingly beloved um, the wife of the sheriff and everyone and she seems like she's very charming and everyone adores her only to we'd find out that this woman is is a sociopath and a very very scary figure and this young girl um, has to escape her Uh, and it's like I said it's based on real events and so in many ways and this answers that other question I kind of likened it to sort of like Sweeney Todd in the sense that Sweeney Todd's obviously musical complexity and operatic scope, you know, is something that I will always be chasing. I'll always be chasing it in everything that I that I write. And this particular musical, We Foxes, I feel like is the it is the mo it checks all my boxes. And again, I love so much that you asked that question because, you know, as a writer, when you go into something, and I think this is true for actors too, you go like, this project is gonna do, you know, is gonna is gonna uh, uh, use this part of myself, this part of myself, and that part of myself. And you very rarely get to work on something where you're like, everything about this is me, and nothing has been left out. And We Foxes was that for me, for sure. Yeah. Now, same question, but with a piece that someone else has created. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think Sweeney Todd. I, Sweeney I think Sweeney, Todd. Yeah, yeah, I think Sweeney Todd is 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 the mo is the most. Per- you know, when I think about you know, it's, of course, it's going to be a Sondheim musical. Like that's. <laughs> yeah. um, well, well, and I actually, I can I can pivot on this for a brief second. Would you say you know? Can I answer with things that aren't musicals? Sure. Why not? Okay. So I think that. Um, the a film uh, that I think is is something that I am continuing to chase and, and aspire to always work on is uh, the, 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 the Quentin Tarantino film Inglorious Bastards. There is something so comprehensive. And again, I use the word operatic when I when I say operatic, I mean, just like high drama, big locations, um, massive characters, massive actions, massive stakes. Um, and something that kind of usually sprawls, you know, sprawls, sprawls the world, sprawls time. Um, and then I think of like a book, I think of the book um, It by Stephen King, and not even because it's horrific, and I tend to write a lot of darkness, but again, that like 1000 plus page book, I guess I'm, I'll always be super interested in, in these massive uh, works of art that feel to me like the sort of the apex of what of what of what a creative person can make um and it doesn't surprise me that i sort of feel like everything stephen king wrote after it was kind of like fine <laughs> like i feel like you know, i still read his work and, and even tarantino i you know 
I don't think he's made something as good as it, it's interesting because I feel like Pulp Fiction's so good. I think then you know Kill Bill was really awesome and definitely something even I think I personally think of even stronger. And then I felt like he really peaked at Inglorious Bastards and sort of everything else has sort of felt like a decline to me. So it's interesting to, and I wonder if Jason going back briefly about him saying that you know he never he'll never he feels like he'll never write something as good as the last five years. You know, it's like it's interesting how it's possible to peak a little bit, you know, and 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 that doesn't mean you stop writing, but it, it it's 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 interesting how we how we how we work so hard to arrive somewhere, and then we sort of are always then chasing that thing. I don't know. Yeah, that's. I mean, you're bringing up a really good point because. Yeah, it's like how how many how much creative juices does one person have, and right. how are they expelled, and to what degree can yeah. they be yeah. continually pushed out? You know, because we we tell stories that either inspire us or that many that we know personally, and that's yeah. what really resonates with other people because we've hit that core emotion in ourselves. Yeah. So it's that. Uh, it's a good point. I um I want to change gears slightly here again. Thank you for following along. Um, during this whole time, you know, the pandemic and what have you, uh, are there changes you've made that have increased positivity and decreased negativity in your life? Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I definitely think, um, I, you know, I think one of the things that, that sort of came up during this pandemic um, began, began with, with, with sort of a lot of, I sort of, I guess I would classify it as negativity. Um, which is that, you know, I, I've been teaching a really, really long time and I, you know, have gotten to work with a lot of actors and I've grown, I've grown up a lot, you know, from, you know, again, I, like I said, I started teaching when I was 18, which is almost 20 years ago. And, you know, um, I think especially, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement that happened in June. And I think that that a lot of a lot of revelations have occurred a lot for a lot of us as who 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 work with actors, especially young ones, and a lot of us who are teachers. And I've had a lot of really incredible conversations with former students and, and a lot of incredibly important conversations about who we are and what what students really need to be their best selves. And, you know, so so often the way these things go is you go like, well, I teach this way because this is how I was taught. Mm. But if you try, if you keep tracking that back and you keep allowing that to be the rule, well, then you're gonna have people who are teaching in the style of, you know, their, you know, school marm in the 1940s with a ruler who hit them every time they said something wrong, right? <laughs> yeah. I think that we are on a continuing slope towards more kindness and respect for young people. And would, you know, I, my father, I remember, I always remember him saying, you know, him getting on me when we would have fights and he would say, you know, I feel like you don't respect me. And kind of, I always, I remember even as like at 12 years old, 14 years old, I would always think to myself, well, you don't respect me. And then of course, if I ever said that to him, he would sort of go, well, I'm the dad or I'm the older person. Mm. And I think that, I, one of the other things, you probably are noticing a theme here. I, one of the other things that I, you know, really have, 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 I, I was blessed to have the time this summer and this past fall to really start 
exploring who I am as a collaborator and as a teacher mm -hmm. and was given, I feel like I was given the opportunity to, uh, to grow, to grow as someone who is educating other people. And so to realize that a lot of my previous teaching style was sort of performative and in so many ways, I think it was like about me. Like, I think I was, when I taught, I was teaching for me, which is a weird thing to sort of realize about yourself. And I think the thing that, that, that has decreased negativity in my life and increased positivity in my life is the realization that I want to always make sure that the people I'm working with feel loved and feel safe and feel seen and feel considered. And I think that our business at its worst, and of course, you know, we've all experienced, you know, we've all we've all become, I think, a little bit more aware of the potential for corruption in in the theater mm -hmm. and and the potential for, you know, systemic racism and and transphobia, et cetera. The list goes on. And I think that, you know, at its worst, you know, when a lot of us were coming up as, as musical theater actors or people getting into this business, you know, you hear so many stories of like, you know, if you uh, if you don't get, you know, if you clap at an accompanist to give your tempo, they're going to ask you to leave the room. Or if you don't do this, you're going to get fired. Or if you don't do this, you're going to get fired. And if you cry, you know, you hear stories of directors and writers screaming at each other because they have an argument and you hear so many stories. And we love to talk about in the theater about like catty, catty wars between leading ladies. And, and so much of our history is found in this. It's so much so that it all, that I think it's easy you know, for a certain generation of, of people to come and go like, I'll know I have made it when I throw a martini in someone's face and storm out of the room. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I have that kind of power. And I think the shift that's occurring and certainly has occurred for me, and I think it's occurring for a lot of people, is the feeling, it, it, it's the thing that has, that has, that made Hamilton what it, I think it is and made Hadestown what I think it is, which is truly creating an equitable space for the cast to feel seen and considered and to be the one, especially if you are the director or you're the writer or you're the teacher, to really take on the responsibility of ensuring that for other people and that's the biggest shift that's made that's been made in my life and and something i'm incredibly grateful for yeah yeah it's all about kindness and you're absolutely mm -hmm. right i mean that's again well said it's yeah there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of problems right in the in the musical theater world which is theater world where you look at it and you're like wait a second that's been going on for too long even just yeah. the idea of like, you know, what is quote unquote making it and, and what happened. Right. So is there now, this might also even again, probably maybe tie into your previous answer, common piece of incorrect advice that you hear in theater. Mm. I will start as globally as I can. And I would say you have to be the best. I think that that is an incorrect piece of advice. I think you have to be the kindest. You have to be the most enjoyable, the most uh, collaborative and creative. And whether or not you have the biggest role 
or whether or not you get the most nominations and awards, that none of that is going to matter. And I've been very fortunate to not only watch so several, you know, people who we would all consider to be Broadway stars, I was fortunate enough to watch them go from, you know, Alex Brightman as an example. I I I I mean I can safely say this. I picked Alex Brightman out of a chorus and put him in one of my shows. And I have known him, you know, since he was, you know, a, a sophomore at NYU. Jay Johnson, same thing. Lindsay Mendez and I have been friends for ages and ages and ages. And I've gotten to watch them. I I, I was with I was with Lindsay through the entire experience of winning a Tony Award. And I will never forget, and God, I she won't get mad. And let's face it, she's too busy. She won't, she, and she won't, she doesn't listen to podcasts, so she'll never hear this, but all of your <laughs> listeners. I, I'll never forget we were teaching about like a month or two after she won a Tony. And I remember, you know, she'd been auditioning for film and TV. And of course now she's on CBS's All Rise. And so her TV dreams are certainly coming true. But two months, you know, after we were teaching and there was a, a lull and as someone else was getting up and, and she turned to me and she, you know, she really felt like her auditions had not been going the way that she thought that they would. And she said to me, I just need a win, like a small, like a little win. Mm -hmm. And this is someone who just two months before had just had stood on stage at, you know, Radio City or wherever the Tonys were and accepted a Tony Award. And that was a moment where I was like, for every single one of us, it could never, it, it, it's possible that it might not ever be enough. And yet, and I do think Lindsay does believe this. I think we have to, everything that we do has to be enough for today. And because I don't, I think this idea, this bad advice, which is this pressure for people to ascend and what they're really, you know, I don't even think any of us necessarily got into this for the money. So it would be one thing if that ascent was about making more money and, you know, taking care of your family and living better. But I truly do think if we really think about this idea of like, be the star, be the best, be the most acclaimed, what people are really asking for is power. And if this last year has taught us anything, I really do not think power is something that any of us should be seeking out. And if we are so lucky to be granted power, you know, I, I can quote Spider-Man all day with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. And I think that is, that is the moral of the story for me. And when you say power, do you mean power over yourself or you mean power over, you know, your life? That's that's so beautifully said. Um, the power over our uh, power. I think most people think of power in terms of like at best you're going power to choose the roles you want to do or the projects you want to work on. Power to 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 not have to do the stuff that you don't want to do and to only do the stuff you do want to do and to make to make things that you otherwise would not be able to make happen happen because of that. So at best. You know, you're creating jobs, you're employing people like at best, that's good. But at worst, you know, you hear stories of, of actors who of, of ensemble members and shows who forget to pass the, the salt shaker, you know, to the lead because they are on for a different track today and the lead reporting them and getting them fired. Like you hear those stories yeah. and you go like that kind of power, the power to 
you know, it's like, it's like where, where you're seated at a table and, 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 and what, 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 what New York hotspot can you get into? Like all of those things, you know, to, to, to hold yourself above other people, to, to be more than other people, I think is the power I'm referring to that I think too many people, and I, you know, look, of course I want to win awards. Of course I'd love to have a show on Broadway and I hope I will. Of course I want to be nominated for a Tony. Of course I want to win one, but that to me, I'm hoping, and I'm hoping this doesn't change for me, will always be about feeling like I accomplished something for my community and that I'm being recognized by my community, as opposed to feeling like, you know, I think when people use power as a weapon, you know, I mean, like, you know, with this Tony, I can now do whatever the hell I want to do is not the way I think we should view awards and the kind of things that we are lucky enough to get, you know, these opportunities we get. Yeah, I completely agree. That's <laughs> really well said. I uh, thank you. Thank you for, you know, elaborating on that further. Um, looking towards the future. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, what are you, what are you looking towards? What can you share with us that is coming up and uh, anything towards your future in uh, creating? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I would say the the two things, the two things that are actually coming up that one of the one of them I'm really, really excited about, which is um, I wrote a show called 35 millimeter, which, you know, is probably I think my I guess my most well known piece. If anybody has you know heard my name, they probably have heard it in association with that show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, I had the opportunity over the last couple of months to interview the original cast and to sort of create um, a an album of commentary and an album that sort of talks the, you know, uh, about, you know, sort of behind the scenes stories and the origins of these songs and, um, you know, interesting <laughs> or scintillating facts. And, uh, and, and here, you know, 10 years down the line here, like how 35 millimeter has sort of stayed in their lives. And the stories were pretty incredible and I'm really proud of it. Um, every single song, um, will have its own track. So if you're obsessed with the Ballad of Sarah Berry, you can listen to a song, you can listen to a to a, a sort of podcast style track of commentary that tells you everything you could possibly have wanted to know about that song. Um, and uh, and I'm really excited about that. So that'll, that should be coming out, I think in the next month or six weeks. Oh, that's fantastic. That's so yeah. great. And now, okay. And as we, as we wrap up here, I do have to ask, yeah. has the, has the pandemic stifled creativity for you in any way? Have you had to work through, you know, getting through all the craziness and the, you know, the, the fear and the scariness and everything that's been happening to create? Have you had to work through that? So I've had to do a lot of work this, this pandemic, but I would actually say the being creative has never has not been a problem, okay. and and I, uh, I and I've loved I've loved 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 um, the work that I've gotten to do, and and that and that kind of focus on on my creative work has been the pleasure of the pandemic. I would say the work that I've had to do that has been hard, right, is the work that I think we're all doing, right, which is is and the work I talked about earlier, which is which is becoming better people and becoming better people for the better people in our lives. And that work has been really challenging 
and ultimately uh, and ultimately the most rewarding gift of the pandemic for me. Metaphorically speaking, if you could put a word or a phrase on a billboard for millions of people to see, does anything come to mind? It does. Um, it might be a little surprising. And it's it's sort of my mantra and has been my mantra for a really long time, which which sometimes, you know, surprises me because um, because it, 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 it grows with meaning that I'm like, wow, I, re I really thought that then the the phrase is this too shall pass. And I've been I've been focused I've 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 held that phrase to me I think it's even a biblical phrase even though I'm an atheist I've held that phrase in my life for as long as I can remember, and and I th and it's it's ironic because I think anybody who will hear that when when you're when this episode posts is going to go the pandemic they're gonna they're gonna think that this is about the pandemic. And it's just interesting to me that that phrase has has just existed in in wonderful moments in my life and negative moments in my life. And um, it's a phrase that I think is sort of everything. Yeah, that's I mean, that's absolutely beautiful. You're so right. And it gives such clarity when having such a clouded mind out of whatever's happening, you know, to realize it always will pass. Yep. I love it. This is so great. Ryan, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap it up here today? Yeah. I mean, one thing I'll, I'll just say, and you can include this or edit this out. <laughs> sure. You know, I, I think the work that you're doing and I think that the work anybody uh, is doing that is creative and is creating opportunities for other artists to, to share their voice as as you're the opportunity you've given me to do that today. Um, and and I think you know props to you because as you said you're you're you know this is three years old so you were well ahead of the game because as you I'm sure you know everyone's got a podcast hell I, even I now have a podcast so <laughs> you know you you were really ahead of the game and um, you know I have no doubt that the work that you've been doing here um, has probably inspired some of the people who needed needed something wonderful to do in their lives and and now can. I love that. I love that because yes, if it resonates with one person or they admit that it resonates, chances yeah. are it's resonating with 10 other people that aren't talking about it. So it's yeah. really, it's a beautiful, I think it's a beautiful thing. And I know a lot of what you said today resonated with me and I know it'll resonate with the listener. So thank you for doing this. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Ryan Scott Oliver. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.